Or I want you to open to Zechariah chapter 14, please. Zechariah chapter 14. We're going to look at the entire chapter, 21 verses. And the message is entitled, The Horror of Jerusalem Before the Kingdom. The prophet Zechariah has given to us the first part of the last battle against Jerusalem, as we've seen in chapter 12. And now he gives us the second part of the same battle, the climactic scene, from a different vantage point. God does this. He gives you Genesis, what he did, I created. Chapter 2, he gives you the details, how he created man. It's not a Western book and an Eastern book. General, then specifics. Go back and put details. Nothing different about this. So, let me read here. Um, it, it's, I mean, you would think that it's something that's so far-fetched and so made up or that you're on a trip on acid or something, but um, the stuff that God gives to these guys, it's amazing. Let me read here. Uh, chapter 14, Zechariah says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the horses, the houses rifled, the women ravished, Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, and he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and that faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half towards the south. Then you will flee from my holy mountain, for the mountain valley uh, shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Thus the Lord, my God, will come and all the saints with you. I shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And in that day, it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, half of them towards the western sea, and both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. All the land shall, um, shall be turned into a plain from Giba to Rimnon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate of the corner gate and from the tower of Hananiel to the king's winepress. Wine the people shall dwell in it and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall be dissolved while they stand on their feet, their eyes shall be dissolved in their sockets, their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize his hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Such also shall be the plague. On all the horses, the mule, the camels, and the donkeys, and all the cattle will be in those camps, so shall the plague be. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoever 
or whichever the fowl of the earth, do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and there will be no rain. If the families of Egypt will not come up and enter in, there shall have no rain, and they shall receive the plague in which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved in the belts of the horses. The pots of the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifice shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Wow. This is the second sneak preview provided by Zechariah regarding the city of Jerusalem at the second coming of the Messiah. It consists of three scenes. We have here the intervention of Jesus prior to the kingdom, verse 1 through 8. Secondly, you have the exaltation of Jesus in the kingdom, verse 9 through 15. And thirdly, you have the adoration of Jesus in the kingdom, 16 to 21. What a great finality to this book. Amazing. Let's begin here with the intervention of Jesus prior to the kingdom, 1 through 8. Notice in verse 1 and 2, the prophet Zechariah revealed further details about the siege of Jerusalem. This is the second scene, different vantage point, more details. Um, the general statement is that Jerusalem will be sieged by the nation just before his coming, just as chapter 12 told us. Again, he calls attention to the period of time. He, 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 you as a parent do this to your children. You repeat things, repeat things. You want it clear. He says that, Behold, the days of the Lord is coming. The major theme of the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. It's the day of wrath and dignation, darkness, the day of gloom. It's found 75 times in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, 2 Peter 3, 10. Uh, Jesus speaks about it in different terms. Tribulation, Great Tribulation, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Uh, Revelation 6 to 18. There it is. It's all over the place. Now, notice Zechariah confirmed the event as being unfavorable. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. The, the, the prophets revealed the truth, whether it was dark or light, beneficial or not. They were responsible to communicate God's absolute truthful revelation. The word spoil there means to plunder, to take the resources, the wealth of them. Notice the particular statement about the siege of Jerusalem is described in all its horrors. This is horrible. Everybody says the man is good. Good for what? Where's the evidence? Listen carefully here. Zechariah reveals God will initiate the siege, for I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The battle of Armageddon, Revelation 16, 16 through 21. Revelation 19, 15 through 21. You have specifics there, the details. Notice Zechariah reveals God allows its capture. The city shall be taken. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He pronounced the judgment and said, You will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 23, 37, 39. He gave up Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Daniel 2, 35, 44, and 45. Luke 21, 24. The scriptures are very, very clear. 
Notice again, Zechariah reveals the atrocities of warfare. The houses rifled, the women ravished. The word rifle means to be plundered. The enemy moving house to house, scary. Greedy men taking valuables. Zechariah revealed the women will be ravished. Literally, it means laid, indicating sexual rape. I can't imagine anything more horrible, particularly in a wartime, in a war zone. Yes, the depravity of man, horrific. In fact, Sisera's mother, if you remember in Judges 5.30, she was to appease herself about the delay of her son coming back from battle. She said uh, that he was raping some women and collecting some of the, the goods. Listen carefully. He says, are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man a girl or two? Speaking about rape. And, um, uh, and plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed. Two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck and for looter. This is a practice. Incredible. Two or three Jews will die. Zechariah 13, 8 through 9 tells us. The worst day is still ahead for Israel. Notice Zechariah revealed a portion of the city would be taken. Half of the city shall go into captivity, cutting their military strength in half, demoralizing the one that's resisting. Zechariah reveals half of Jerusalem will stand standing. But the remnant of the people, in verse 2 there, shall not be cut off from the city. They will fight resisting the enemy. Remember that God's already told us in Zechariah 12a that the most feeble he will make like David. Incredible warriors. That doesn't mean that people aren't going to die. He tells you the atrocity, two to three. Notice in verse three through six, the prophet Zechariah reveals supernatural events at the deliverance of Jerusalem. Jesus will fight against the nations, verse 3, in defense of Jerusalem. Listen to him. And the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. He's already told him that in chapter 12, verse 3 through 9, from a different perspective. The manner of his defense is stated as he fights in the day of battle, indicating to defeat and to be victorious. God has never lost a battle. He's never had to take inventory whether he can put up against somebody. The Lord is a man of war, Exodus 15, 3. Four times God is called the Lord of hosts in this chapter, verse 16, 17, and 21. The captain of the armies of heaven. Look at four. Jesus will make a grand appearance. Talk about a grand appearance. Zechariah reveals again the period of time. In that day, get used to it. Don't get tired of it. In that day, the great tribulation, appearing seven times in this chapter. 4, 6, 8, 9, 13, 20, 21. Zechariah revealed the particular location. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. Some of you have been there. You're sitting there on the Mount of Olives. We're looking at the Temple Mount. <laughs> We're having a sermon. It's going to be an ugly sight there one day. Zechariah reveals the powerful effect on the Mount of Olives here. It will separate, split into from east to west it will create a new gorge making a very large valley falling towards the city of jerusalem and the judean wilderness half of the mountains shall be moved towards the north and the other half towards the south as you know jesus was taken in the garden 
uh, there at the foot of Mount of Olives that his cousin was to meet with the disciples. John 18, 1 and 2 tells us that. Judas knew, knew it and sent him there to betray Jesus. Jesus left, ascended up from the Mount of Olives. As they were looking at him, the disciples and apostles, and the, the angel said, why do you men stand here gazing up to the sky? The very same way he has left, he's going to come back the same way. And his foot touches the Mount of Olives, it splits. You know what's interesting? They've done geological surveys. There's a fault through the Mount of Olives. Not that God needs a fault. All he needs is the reason. Okay? No big deal. You find that in Acts 1.11. Now, notice Jesus in verse 5 will provide an escape route for these not taken captive in Jerusalem. Zechariah reveals the guiding hand of God through the new valley. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain shall, valley shall reach to Aziel. He creates the way of escape as he always does in your life and mine. Down from Lebanon, down through the Dead Sea to the Gulf of Aqaba, the drift, the rift that we know right now is the greatest rift is that of the African rift. It'll be huge, it'll be bigger, everything's going to change, the topography is we're going to see. The way of escape that God provides. Look at five still. Zechariah confirms the certainty by relating it to their past history. God does that with you. When you get a little hopeless, a little frustrated, a little kind of this and that, God says, do you remember what I did yesterday? Do you remember what I did last week? He reminds us. He says, that, yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, your, um, your, the, the king of Judah. So he relates and connects it to their past history. It's not recorded in the historical books, but it is recorded in Amos 1.1, the earthquake. The scriptures are so incredible. Often, people forget about what does miraculously in their life. After the Antichrist kills the two witnesses and the world celebrates their death for three and a half years, their bodies lay in Jerusalem and God raises them up and they go up to heaven. Then it says, in that same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell, Jerusalem. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heavens, Revelation eleven thirteen. Here's an old detail from the book of Revelation. fits in here. Now, Zechariah, notice, revealed Jesus will be also returning with his church. Out of the clear God, here's the details. Listen, listen carefully. Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. You think they're horny toes and lizards or what? I mean, the saints. Wow. Now this would be a better division for the verse right here to begin, right in the middle. Remember, chapter and verse division are not inspired. They're just put there so we can find things. And for the most part, they're okay. But this, this event of we coming back with him is clear through the scripture. First Thessalonians, he comes back for his church. Second Thessalonians, he comes back with his church to establish the kingdom after the battle of Armageddon. Wow. Now notice the light of day will be affected also, verse 6 through 7. Zechariah revealed the normal light of day will be supernaturally altered here. It shall come to pass in that day that um, there will be no light. The light will diminish. The phrase... That day, there it is again. The word diminished means to be condensed or made dense. We really don't understand that, but then he explains that, that Zechariah declares the day will be distinct like no other. Listen, it shall be one day like, 
which is known to the Lord Yahweh, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. In other words, day and night will be equal in light. What a day. Isaiah 30 verse 26 tells us, Jesus speaks about it with the signs and wonders of things that will happen in Matthew 24, 29 through 31. The sun, the moon, the stars, all kinds of things. Now you have to read the Bible and remember what you're reading. You're reading God's revelation of what's going to happen before it happens. So when it happens, you know he's God. This is not a history book. This is not an economic book. This is not a book written by man. God revealed it to his prophets. Look at verse 8. The prophet Zechariah revealed Jerusalem will be transformed. The key phrase again is stated. And in that day, Zechariah is diligent and faithful to keep repeating this phrase. Look at the city. The city of Jerusalem will be an incredible water source. Zechariah revealed the flow of water starts here at Jerusalem. He says, it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem. Zechariah also revealed that the flow of this water goes in two different directions. Half of them towards the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea. The eastern sea is the Dead Sea. You've been there. You can't drown in the Dead Sea. You, gotta, you just float. There's so much salt and minerals in it. Oily, smelly, sulfur. And then the western sea is the Mediterranean Sea, also called the Great Sea. This is the start of the millennial. The river is described by Ezekiel, where progressively it goes wider and more and more deeper. He starts from his ankles and his knees and his hips, and he can't even swim. He has to swim all over. It goes down to the Mediterranean. Uh, the Dead Sea will have every kind of fish the Mediterranean Sea has. The only exception will be the marshlands from Engedi to Englame. They'll be uh, that put their, their nets out, the fishermen. And on both banks, there will be um, growing uh, uh, trees for fruit for every month constantly um, for, because of the waters that are coming from the sanctuary of Jerusalem. And they, the lease will be for medicine. Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12 tells us. That's the millennial, okay? So this is prior to it, but he's giving us things that tell us this, the transition. So you can see it here. Now, Joel confirms this. Listen to this. He says, And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. Uh, a fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacia. Joel 3.18. Different prophets, different times, different locations, all saying the same thing. Wow. The water source, notice, will flow all year long. In both summer and winter, it shall occur. Inexhaustible. Not only is it going to be transformed, no longer is the land going to be just beautiful, flourishing, but also the word of God's going to go forth, as we'll see, as the Lord teaches. You know, in 1939, um, Germans invaded Poland on September the 1st of 1939. And Britain and France declare war on Germany two days later. Hitler exterminated three and a quarter million Jews in Poland. 1.2 million in Russia. About 350,000 he murdered in Romania. 300,000 in Hungary. 270,000 in Czechoslovakia. 180,000 in Germany. 180,000 in Lithuania. 
and 15,000 in Holland, and we can go on. And yet, the worst day for Israel is ahead of her. Two or three Jews will die under the hand of the Antichrist. Now, you would have to actually be evil to say something like that if it's not God's word. This is God's word, ladies and gentlemen. You need to understand it. God will protect Israel, though, from the protection of the Antichrist after the abomination of desolation, as we've seen. In Revelation twelve thirteen, it says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, the woman's Israel, who gave birth to the male child. The male child is Christ, Revelation twelve thirteen. In Revelation uh, 12, 15 through 16, he says, So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, and that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood, but the earth open, helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So God protects her as she's fleeing to the city of Petra that we believe in Isaiah 16.1. And God rescues her. In Revelation 12.17, it says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with, listen, the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and to have the testimony, who has the testimony of Jesus Christ. He will tolerate nothing. He will be against everything except himself. This is the intervention of Jesus prior to the kingdom age. Secondly comes the exaltation of Jesus in the kingdom age, verse 9 through 15. Notice in verse 9, the prophet Zechariah revealed the supreme reign in the millennium. Jesus will be king of the world, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Not just Pasadena, not just Burbank, the whole earth, the whole world. Hosea puts it this way, Hosea 3, 4. For the children of Israel shall abide many days, listen, without a king or a prince, without sacrifice, without sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Wow. You remember Hosea very clearly. Revelation eleven fifteen. After the two witnesses are killed and the earthquake of Jerusalem takes place, the third woe comes. Listen to it. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Jesus will be reigning. In that day, the Lord shall be the Lord is one, and His name one. The word one is a cad. It's a compound unity of one. The Shema of Israel in Deuteronomy 6, 4-6 says that. The Lord is one. It's a text for the Trinity. A compound unity of one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. One. Same word. Wow. Paul speaks of the end of the millennium when Jesus will um, um, be one with the Father. At the end of the thousand years, he will hand over the kingdom to the Father. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty four through 28, and then God will be all in all. So right now, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit have their places and their positions for the work of redemption, but at the end of the millennial kingdom, salvation is all over, it's the eternal state, and God will be in whatever shape He's supposed to be as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it will be all submissive to Him. Amazing. Look at verse 10 and 11. The prophet Zechariah revealed the alteration of the land at the millennium. The topography will change. Zechariah revealed the Judean wilderness will be a plain at 
all the lands shall be turned into a plain from Gibba to Ramnan south of Jerusalem, verse 10 says. The word plain there, Arabah, uh, applies to the whole of the Jordan Valley uh, down to Aqaba, the, the port there. Uh, Gibba was a city of Benjamin, uh, six miles south, uh, north of east of Jerusalem, so from the top there on down to Rimnah, 35 miles southern uh, Judah, that's allotted to Simeon. So the location, and even if we couldn't locate these places, well, we don't know. It doesn't matter. It's going to happen. It's going to cover that whole area. Notice Zechariah revealed the city of Jerusalem will be raised. It will be raised up. In elevation, expanded to be inhabited. Jerusalem shall be raised up <clears throat> and inhabited in her uh, place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate and from the Tower of Hananiel to the king's wine press. That whole area is going to be changed. The present day Temple Mount is surrounded by mounds higher than it. Mount of Olives is one, Mount Scopus is another. It's lower. But in this day, it's going to be higher. The Temple Mount will be elevated and expanded to accommodate the size of the millennial temple in Ezekiel 40 to 48. That temple will not fit there right now. If you were with us in our study of the millennial kingdom and the temple and the worship. He says, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and he shall walk in, we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion, the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Micah 4, 1 and 2. Fits like a glove. Wow. The city of Jerusalem will be safe and secure for the people during the millennial kingdom. In verse 11, he says, the people shall dwell in it. No longer shall there be under destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Now, in spite of what the news tells you and everybody else, Israel is really the safest place in the world. They tell you it's the most dangerous. It's the most volatile, but it's the safest. You know why? Because nothing can happen to Israel until the Antichrist comes. That's not the case for the rest of the world. You understand me? I'm, I make decisions based on the Bible. Not human reasoning. Very important. Micah puts it this way. Listen to him. Micah says, He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift sword against um, the nations. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. That's a symbol of prosperity and peace for the Jew. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, has spoken this. For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcasts, those whom I have afflicted, and I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. And you, tower, O tower of the flock, 
the stronghold of daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Micah 4, 3 through 8. It's all over the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. Now, how do some people teach that there's not going to be any millennium? They're called amillennials, no millennium. <laughs> Just like Theo, God, atheist, no God. Wow. Peace will be during the millennial kingdom, not now. We've already looked at that. Look at verse 12 through 15. The prophet Zechariah revealed the punishment for the foes against Jerusalem. The hand of the Lord Jesus will be very severe. Zechariah reveals the people affected are limited to those who attack Jerusalem. God does not punish the son for the parents or the parents for the children. God deals individually with people who do the bad things. And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people who fight against Jerusalem. The word plague there, it's translated blow, slaughter, stroke, or plague, such as pestilence. But we're not told exactly what it is. But Zechariah reveals the frightening devastation and effect of it in the next verse. He says, their flesh shall dissolve while they stand in their feet. Horrible. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. Wow. Now this does not describe a nuclear or a neutron bomb, as some people think. This is divine judgment. Jesus isn't firing nuclear bombs, okay? Now could there be some nuclear exchange prior to that time or whatever? Certainly uh, Ezekiel gives us an inkling that it might be possible. Ezekiel 39, 11 through 15 speaks about when Russia attacks Israel, the beginning of the tribulation, which begins it, that they will put markers on bodies for seven months burying them when they come upon them. So there could be a sense of contamination there. We're not sure. Look at verse 13. The Lord will bewilder his foes. The context is still the same. Uh, it shall come to pass in that day. So God will bring utter confusion to come upon them. This is nothing new. This we see in the history is going to indicate it. That a great panic from the Lord will be among them. People think they're bad. They shoot their mouth off. Especially today. Because everybody's covered by the state or the government. Let me tell you, when I grew up, you didn't shoot your mouth off. If you did, you got your clock clean. Okay? It's just the way it was. And you learn real, a real important lesson in life. Um, today, everybody's a little girl. Um, it says that they will kill each other. Listen. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor. So God here does this to the enemies. We see it in the past in Samuel and Judges and Chronicles. God did this in defense of Israel. Um, this has already been mentioned in Zechariah 12.4 from a different vantage point description. But it's the same battle. Look at verse 14. The Jews will collect all the spoils of war. To the victor goes what? The spoils. There it is. The location Judah also will fight at Jerusalem. The immense financial gain and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together. Gold, silver, and apparel and great abundance. Wow. This is for the millennial kingdom. The Jew will be served by the Gentile. All the Gentiles' wealth will come to the Jew. Israel. 
You may not like it, but suck it up, buttercup. That's the way it is. <laughs> Isaiah 60, verse 11 says, Therefore your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day and night. That man may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. Whoa. The hatred for the Jew today, for Israel, the world is going to bow. Wow. Look at 15. The plague will also strike the animals. The proclamation such also shall be the plague on the horses, the mules, on the camels, the donkeys, and on all the cattle. It will be in those camps. So there won't be no pita during the millennial kingdom, okay? Uh, no whining, no ambulance, okay? And um, take care of your animals, be nice to them, pet them, feed them, take care of them. But they remember, they have four legs, okay? Uh, and uh, when they can put clothes on and talk and sit at the table, then I'll let them in, all right? Now, the affirmation, so shall this plague be. Why does he say this? Because it's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? While you're standing up, your body's melting, your eye sockets, everything else. Wow. On the basis of the computation in the Moscow Gazette, Gastuvi Velbert in his day could report that, quote, from the year 1496 B.C. to A.D. 1861, in 3,358 years, there were 227 years of peace and 3,130 years of war or 13 years of war to every year of peace. Wow. Within the last three centuries, there have been 286 wars in Europe. He added that from the year 1500 B.C. to A.D. 1860, more than 8,000 treaties of peace meant to remain in force forever were concluded. In other words, broken. The average time they remain in force was two years. Let God be true and every man a liar. Wow. There will be only peace when the Prince of Peace comes, as we've seen already. Now, the prophet Hosea said Israel would be without a king until the second coming of the Messiah. Listen carefully. Hosea 6, 1 and 2. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Who's the context? Jew, Jew, Israel. Not the church, ladies and gentlemen. The church is nowhere in here. Peter says, but beloved, do not forget the one thing that the, the Lord, uh, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is the day of the Lord in Second Peter 3.8. Now, that's not a formula to interpret prophecy, the two days of one day. No. It just says that God lives in the eternal present. That's all it says, okay? Now, the prophet Hosea foretold Israel's long period of separation from God, as we have seen. In Hosea 3, 4, it says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days. I've already given you this. I want to do it purposely again. Listen, without king, without prince, without sacrifice, without pillar, without ephah, without terebim. When Titus destroyed the temple in 7 AD because they were still offering sacrifices, God says, you don't want to stop? Okay, I'll put an end to it. For 2,000 years, there's no temple, no sacrifice, no priest, no nothing. They have no basis for the forgiveness of their sins. So what do the Jews do at the, now every year? What they do is they try to weigh their goods with their bats. Wow. You want to try that? <laughs> wow. 
All the prophets foretold of the kingdom age for Israel. And the Lord Jesus made it very clear to his disciples that he would be sitting as king. Jesus said to them in Matthew 19, 28, when they were saying, well, what about us? We left all. He says this, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, that's the millennial kingdom, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, either Jesus is telling the truth or he's lying. Which is it? John says, Now, out of the mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation 19, 15 through 16. That's the battle of Armageddon, ladies and gentlemen, to set up the kingdom. Isaiah knew all of this. Listen to this. Isaiah eleven nine. All the nations will know who the Lord is. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's pretty thorough. This is the exaltation of Jesus in the kingdom. No one else. What a fitting end to this book. <laughs> Notice thirdly, verse 16 through 21, the adoration of Jesus in the kingdom age. The survivors of the nations will occupy the millennial reign. Verse 16, their identity is unmistakable. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem. So the converted Gentiles that refuse the mark of the beast and they enter the kingdom, they're the ones. They're the sheep and the ghosts of the nations also in Matthew 25, 32. Isaiah puts it this way. Now it shall come to pass in the latter times or days that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. There it is again, confirming the elevation. And shall be exalted above the hills and the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and he shall, we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah 2, 2 through 5. That's the millennial kingdom, ladies and gentlemen. Their responsibility is undisputable. When you have privilege, now you have responsibility. It says, shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Zechariah reveals that once a year, people will have to go to Jerusalem to worship at the capital of the world. The capital of worship, the capital of economics, the capital of political, everything. So get used to it. You know, people were up in arms about uh, the, uh, uh, the embassy being put in Jerusalem. Well, that's where it's going to be at the end. The ultimate one, Zechariah reveals that once a year, the worship here means to bow, to prostrate oneself before a superior. It will be Jerusalem, the worship of Jesus, fulfilling prophecy. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Simple. And Zechariah reveals that Jesus will worship, be worshipped as king and Lord of hosts. Two interesting titles he gives them. 
the supreme authority and ruler. Because then if you go, well, who did Jesus think he is? Well, he's God. Not, not think he is, he says he's God. And secondly, the undefeated creator and savior, the captain of the armies of heaven. No one can stand against him, not even you. Hmm. The time of year and reason is stated to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Zechariah knew the feast commemorated the faithfulness of God to provide in the wilderness of 40 years. Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 16. Nehemiah, when they came back, they celebrated. You have Passover. Day of Pentecost. Feast of Tabernacles. Three major feasts that every Jew had to go once a year. Wow. They made booths on the 15th to the 22nd. That's the date, but the Jewish calendar changes it a little bit. And they would um, recall God's faithfulness. There was thankfulness. It also celebrated the ingathering of the harvest, which was really a foreshadowing the, the establishing of the kingdom, the uh, ingathering. And Zechariah uh, reveals the sacrifice will be reinstituted when we get down to verse 21. The sacrifices are not for atonement, but they're commemorative of the atoning lamb, Jesus Christ but it will be reinstated again. The book of Ezekiel, 40 to 48, you can't, you can't get, get away from it. Now notice in 17 through 19, the prophet Zechariah revealed the consequences of not coming once a year to Jerusalem. Zechariah revealed there is no exception. God is not a respecter of persons, and it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them will be right. No rain. Rain was a sign of God's promised blessing. Leviticus 26, 4 through 5. Deuteronomy 28, 22 through 24. It was the blessings and cursings of the law. Zechariah revealed there will be rebellion by some because those people that, that occupied the nation, the, the kingdom age, they're people who didn't accept the mark of the beast, who resisted the Antichrist, the nations that made it through. They're human. They repopulate. You and I are glorified. We reign with him. These people live like you and I do. And they have kids and they have to be saved and they die and everything else. We're going to see there's death. Because where there's sin, there's death. Okay? Where there's death, there's sin. One is the cause of the other. And so here, he reveals the rebellion. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plagues in which the Lord strikes the nations and do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 18. Egypt depended on the Nile, not rains, as you know. It was one of her, her, her pride things, one of her gods. The Nile will not advantage Egypt at this point in the millennium. But free will is still there, right? Because God gives man free will. He gives it to you right now, he'll give it to those in the millennial kingdom. Because God doesn't force anybody to go to heaven or to go to hell. You have the choice where you want to spend eternity. The punishment noted will be to all. There shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Wow. Now look at 20 through 21. The prophet Zechariah revealed the nature of the kingdom will be holiness. Don't miss this. The horses will be sanctified to God. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses, even the animals. The way it was supposed to be in the garden back in Genesis. The context is still in that day. This was the engraving on the high priest's mitre when he entered the Holy of Holies in Exodus 28, 5 through 6. Mitre, holiness to the Lord. 
the worship of Jesus. No one else is here. Isaiah 19, 18 and 19 puts it this way. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar uh, to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and the pillar of the Lord at its border. It will be world worship. One common language. One language. Okay? What is it going to be? I don't know. Possibly Hebrew. Never know. But whatever it is, it's going to be one language. Look at 20 still. The things of the temple will be sanctified. The pots of the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. So in other words, they're set apart for the Lord. The temple and sacrifice will be full of, in full operation, as Ezekiel 40 through 48 tells us. They're all commemorative of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Jesus is called the branch of righteousness. His name shall be called the Lord to sit canoe, the Lord our righteousness, Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. Notice the common thing will be sanctified to God also. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. In other words, you see from the animals down to everything, everything is to the Lord holy. This is the standard of the millennial kingdom. And of course... He will rule with a pot of iron, so there will be direct consequences. No one will get away with anything, but no one gets away with anything now. Do you think you get away with anything? I mean, God sees everything. He hears everything, right? So we just deceive ourselves. The sacrifice offered will be um, sanctified also. In verse 21 there, everyone whose sacrifice shall come and take them and cook in them. So it's just going to be those who are just living for the Lord and God's there. No unholy thing will be in the temple. In that day there shall be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. The Canaanite was someone who was a Gentile, was someone unclean, someone who didn't worship God. He says it's not going to be. This is the millennial kingdom that will be followed by the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 20, 21, 22. Remember the three names when we first opened up the book of Zechariah, chapter 1, verse 1, the name Zechariah, Berechiah, and Edu. It means the Lord remembers, the Lord blesses at the appointed time. <laughs> God is faithful. His timing is perfect. The Jews, as you know, saw two ages. This illustrates our last point. The present age, the age to come. That's why they kept asking Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom? They never saw the church age. You and I are in the church age. We see the church age coming to a close. When? Only the Lord knows. But as we look at the world scene, as we see many of these prophecies, we see the animosity towards Israel, the Jew. We see what's happening in our own nation, the world, the world mindset of one government, one rule, one citizenship. We see it close. The removal of the curse. The animal kingdom will be changed, having no venom or ferocity, as Isaiah 11 tells us in 35 and 65. Everything will be turned back uh, uh, pre-fall. But there will be still sin and death. 
Listen to says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, the cow and the bear shall graze, the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play with the cobra's hole, and the, the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for... The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah eleven six through 9. Wow. Sickness will be removed except as punishment. Longevity will exist. A child will die at 100 years. You say, oh, he died young. Listen to Isaiah 33, 34. And the inhabitants will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquities. The world will be repopulated. Again, as I said, by those who went into the millennial kingdom in natural bodies, they will have children. They have to repent. They have to be saved. Jeremiah 30 verse 20 says, Their children also shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. There will be no labor in terms of... um, Sweat and like the curse and all that because everything's going to be redone to a certain extent. But it certainly is not going to be a time of idleness or laziness. But it will be a very flourishing time. In um, Isaiah 65, 21 through 23, it says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build another and inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of the tree, so shall be the days of my people and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble, for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offering, uh, their offspring with them. So it's going to be a very joyous, fruitful time, not laziness. There are many other such things as peace, joy, protection, economic prosperity, uh, the unification of one language, as we said, many things. You see, the worship will be of one person and one person alone, the worship of Jesus Christ. Listen to Isaiah. He says, and it shall come to pass that from the new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Isaiah 66, 23. There's not going to be this, this stupid sticker coexistence. I like to serve them some dinner coexistence. Just put all kinds of stuff together, see if they'd eat it. It's crazy. Jeremiah declares they shall ask the way of Zion with their faces towards us, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. Jeremiah 50, verse 5. Ezekiel puts it this way, For on my holy mountain, on the mountain heights of Israel, says the Lord God, There all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, shall serve me. There I will accept them, and there I will require your offerings and the first fruit of your sacrifice together with all your holy things. I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the people of the gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will be hollowed in you before the Gentiles. The land and the people go together. 
The people are back in the land, but the people are not back with God. That is still the second part to come. Let me finish with Zechariah since we're finishing Zechariah. Listen carefully. Chapter 8, verse 20 and 22. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, peoples shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord Yahweh and seek the Lord Yahweh, the captain of the armies of heaven. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord the captain of the armies of heaven in Jerusalem, and to pray before the Lord Yahweh. Wow. Ezekiel, or here, Zechariah 8, 20 through 22. Now, what is it that we don't understand? <laughs> this is the adoration of Jesus in the kingdom age. This is the second sneak preview that Zechariah has provided for us regarding the siege of the city of Jerusalem at the second coming of the Messiah. Three little scenes that he gives to us, giving us some details that we didn't get in the first one from different vantage point. The intervention of Jesus prior to the kingdom age. The exaltation of Jesus in the kingdom age. And the adoration of Jesus in the kingdom age. Wow. Talk about ruining the story, telling the end from the beginning. But this one isn't ruined. We rejoice. We can't wait. We still read the book, even though they told us the end. We keep reading it and studying it and putting it in our heart. Don't put it in your head. There's a million miles between your head and your heart, ladies and gentlemen, and mine. Where will all will a young man cleanse his way? In my heart have I hid your word that I might not sin against you. Wow. Lord, thank you for your loving goodness. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the prophet Zechariah. And Lord, we pray for those that are listening in the radio throughout the world and the internet and even here, Lord, that you would speak to those who do not know you, that they would call on your name, that you would forgive them, they would be saved and serve you, Lord. If you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. If you're listening out there in the world somewhere, Russia, France, Mexico, wherever you're at, if you see yourself as a sinner in need of Jesus Christ's forgiveness, that is the work of the Spirit of God convicting you. Do not harden your heart. Do not just explain it away, but call upon His name right now. This is a prayer of repentance. If you want to be born again, forgiven of all your sins, that God can give you eternal life. This is your prayer to Jesus. Not to us, but to Jesus to save you. You tell this to the Lord. He will save you right now by grace through faith. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.